welcome back to Back in My Play, the podcast where we go back in time and we are nostalgic about the games of our past. I'm Kevin Larrabee, and we got the whole cast back again this week. First off, Trey Gibson. Trey, how you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Enjoying Except for my Dreamcast incident. Yeah, uh, Trey's Dreamcast uh, crapped the bed. It is no longer uh, alive, but. All that tells me is that you were playing some Burt CDs because that was the myth back in the day. If you played those pirated, uh, you know, Dreamcast games, I do not know what you're talking about. See, we're good. We're good. We also got uh, Josh Hillier as well. He is uh, on an island talking to us about games. Yeah, one man can't be an island, they say, but uh, I'm here to prove you guys wrong. Sure, that works, and we got a great show for you this week because we're taking a huge leap into the future, next-generation graphics with the Sega Dreamcast, okay? This is a big deal. Going to do a little bit of our history part right here, give you a breakdown on uh, probably one of the, the, the main titles, the showpiece of the Sega Dreamcast for its entire life, probably the most graphically impressive game, easily the most expensive game, and that is Shenmue. It was released in December 29th, 1999 in Japan. And first off, that kind of blows me away. Like I, I own a, the, the Japanese version too, but I could not believe that it came out in the first year of its life, or uh, I guess it was within the first year of the Dreamcast release, a little bit over a year. That is uh, pretty nuts that, that a game of that quality came out that soon, but maybe we'll have some hints of why in uh, just a second. Also, it came out November 6th, 2000 in the United States, and this might be why it came out so soon. is because it started as a Sega Saturn game, and they just weren't able to kind of finish it, and it probably wasn't realistic to do such an incredible 3D world on the Sega Saturn with its trouble already with 3D graphics. And... The, of course, the, the game was immense. It came on three GD-ROMs and introduced some crazy things that we still see in games today, like first, incredibly detailed environments, uh, weather systems, like they called it the magic weather system that they implemented for Shenmue. And then, of course, full reactive eyes entertainment, or free, which most people know as quick time events in today's game, like your your God of Wars, or more or less, uh, or, or more most recently, uh, Rise uh, on the Xbox One that we just saw at E3 has some pretty intense quick time events in there as well. But this is where we really first saw them. The budget between Shenmue and Shenmue 2 was about $70 million between the two games. But when the designer and uh, story writer Yu Suzuki did a talk or did an interview at GDC in 20, uh, 2011, he actually said it was more like $45 million, which is still a crap ton of money back in that, uh, back in that time period. And uh, I also want to mention that the uh, game itself, begins on November 29th, 1986. I think that's important because you get uh, a big part of the game is the the setting and also the the time period that it is in. But like I mentioned, Yu Suzuki, who is uh, an acclaimed game developer, I mean, you can really just look at some of the best stuff Sega ever pumped out. His name was on it. 
You think Virtua Fighter. You think things like probably my favorite Sega arcade game, Outrun, Hang On, and Space Harrier, the last two actually being inside the arcade in Shenmue. You can go into the world and play them at the arcade in the downtown area, which is something that we will talk a little bit more about as we get going. So again, we're we're getting back and and we're going uh, to first take a quick break. We got some good music from Shenmue that we want to play for you guys. So stick around and then we're going to be going back to the year 2000. Okay, let's set the stage for you guys. Again, we're in the fall of 2000. The Dreamcast has already been out for a little bit more than a year. Obviously, you know, if you followed it, the infamous date of 9999 is when that Dreamcast launched in the United States with an incredible lineup, huge sales for the start of uh, at the release. And I even kind of went back and I, I did some research, even going in and looking at uh, the G4 icons that they did on, on the Dreamcast. Uh, it's a pretty good episode of uh, G4 icons. It's about 22 minutes long. You can find it on YouTube if you want to check it out. But the Dreamcast was just, the, it was kind of like a mid-tier system or a mid-generation system. But when it came out, you got to keep in mind when you put something like NFL Game Day versus and uh sorry NFL Game Day versus NFL 2K there was just a huge graphical leap it was true next generation graphics and then there was also games like Soul Calibur there were games like uh even Sonic Adventure incredible arcade ports like uh Crazy Taxi and like i mentioned last week Zombie Revenge it was an amazing system that was pumping out some incredible graphics while the N64 and the PS1 were getting a little bit late into their life cycles. But around the corner were the PS2 and the GameCube and then eventually the Xbox One, original Xbox. But let's let's talk a little bit about this, guys. First, I you know, when did you step into the world of the Dreamcast because I myself was a day one guy. I saw that there was like an ad at the electronics boutique where you could trade in your PS one and 10 games. You got a Dreamcast and a game for free. I was, that's what I did. I got that and I got NBA 2k and I thought it was the greatest thing I had ever seen. Trey, where did you start? Um, I got a Dreamcast the, the Christmas after it came out. It was that was my that was my Christmas that year. I got that along with Power Stone and House of the Dead too. That's pretty good. That's a pretty that great. A great arcade ports, man. It was 
like I mentioned last week, it was a Sega Naomi inside a box that you could hook up to your TV. How about you, Josh? $9,999. Oh, launch day. Awesome. Yeah, I got a t-shirt with it from KB Toys. You guys remember KB Toys? Of course, yeah. No, I... Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah, they, they had a lot of overpriced stuff, but they also took pre-orders, so that was good enough for me. Um, so I pre-ordered a couple of months early, and they sold out at my local location, which wasn't even really in that big of a city in Alabama. So uh, I was I was pretty pumped up to get one on launch day, and I got Sonic Adventure with it. And later that night, I watched the MTV VMAs. That sounds pretty pretty cool. At least <laughs> at least the, the Dreamcast part, the 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 Dreamcast itself. I think obviously we, to to set the stage a little bit more is that it was coming off of the Sega Saturn, which was doing great in Japan. It was doing really well because it had. Again, the ports that people wanted to play, it had Virtual Fighter 2. It had incredible you know, side-scrolling 2D games, like side-scrolling shooters that people wanted to play, some really good RPGs and, and Panzer Dragoon, things like that. So it was doing great in Japan. It really wasn't doing so well in America. And this is coming off of the heels of the 32X, the Sega CD. A- but it had a really good first fall, right? That that um, September. The launch was fantastic. Christmas of 1999. Yeah, because they they held back all of you know when it launched in Japan, it launched with some shit. It had like a Godzilla game and a bunch Ugh. of in a bunch of crap, where uh, <laughs> they made like a strategic. Uh, strategically, they they delayed the launch in America to September 9th to make sure that they had a great lineup. And if you think about it, day one, they th- they had stuff like Soul Calibur. They had Sonic Adventure. They had NBA and NFL 2K, which were far and away better sports titles than anything else that was available. So you had like that kind of like dude bro-y crowd uh, as well, which I kind of fell into. And <laughs> it, it was like you, I, I saw it, the Dreamcast on the Best Buy with a uh, demo of Sonic Adventure, and it and it blew me away. Being able to play Crazy Taxi at home when I was pumping in like 50 cents, like when I would have the money, because again, you know, we were like 13 years old at the time. We didn't really have tons of cash to, to spend at the arcade. It was, it, it, it was th- that first thing that I was able to go out and buy by, my, by myself. Like I had to get a N64 for Christmas. I had to get a PS1 for, for Christmas, but I was able to go out and I guess I still had to trade stuff in, but I was able to get a Sega Dreamcast on my own like within a month of launch and not have to to wait for that Christmas morning when we'd have to eventually uh, start kind of creeping through the presents and seeing what we got. So it, it, it was a great launch. But again, like I said, on the heels of it were the PS2 and the... Uh, GameCube, but I originally remember I was waiting for a PS2, and I was in the store talking to, again, who knows why I still have this memory, but I was in the store talking with the clerk because my dad was shopping elsewhere in the mall. I'm just hanging out in EB Games, and I said, oh, yeah, you know, when's this PS2 coming out? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I think they're delaying it again because they're they're breaking in Japan. Like, they're going to have to delay it for a long time. I think the thing that people should be getting is the Sega Dreamcast. I'm like, really? Really? The, the Sega Dreamcast? It's like, yeah, the PS2 is not going to be coming out for like another year and a half. They're going to have to delay it. It's not going to make its launch. And obviously it did. But I, uh, that's what convinced me to say that day, I, 
he showed me that promo and I, I said, Dad, I I know we already drove whatever it was, 15 minutes to the mall. I need to go home, get my PS1 and 10 games, bring him back and get a Dreamcast. Like, I have to do this, Dad. Just, we have to do it. And thank God he was in the mood that day to, to, <laughs> to make that round trip. And I even said like, all right, and then after that, we'll go to church. Like, it was one of those things where we went to church every bargaining. Saturday. No, it was totally bargaining. I'm like, I'm not even going to make a fuss about going to church. I will go with you. Just, come on. And then I had to... Obviously, get the Dreamcast. I got NBA 2K. They're sitting in the car while we're in church. And I'm like, it's that whole thing like Christmas Day over again, waiting to go back and play your games. But um, <laughs> the Dreamcast was amazing. It was uh, one of those things that was super cool to to check out. But now, w- when did you guys hear about Shenmue? When, when did you guys start getting hyped up? Were you hyped up at all? You know, Josh, when did you see it? <laughs> Uh, just hearing Trey say nope the way he did uh, it's cold it um, wasn't cold I didn't, nope. I didn't really know much about it until the second one had come out and I saw my buddy playing the first one and I was like, like but go ahead I'll, I'll get more into it in a second okay yeah I'll give you a second to build up some steam and get ready to start yeah, yeah there you that. go uh, for me I no I was not excited about Shinmu, but I knew about it and um, something I, I was kind of experiencing this weird uh, phenomenon during the Dreamcast life of, uh, I, so let me think, I was 15 years old when it came out. Yeah, I was 15 years old when the Dreamcast came out. And the Dreamcast kind of broke my heart over time, just like it did a lot of Sega fans, because uh, I you pretty much realized about a year later that it wasn't going to do all that well after the PS2 came out. And uh, so I knew this big game for the fall season of 2000 in America was Shinmue, but I just, it wasn't really what I wanted to be the big game. And it wasn't even that much longer after that, that, you know, Sega quit making consoles, but we'll talk about that more later. I'm sure long story short, I rented the game when it came out uh, just out of obligation, sort of like, I need to play this. It's the big dreamcast game this fall. And uh, I just played it a little bit. I think I ended up probably just listening to three eleven or something instead. <laughs> three eleven. Are you guys going to be hating on, on Shenmue? Tr- <laughs> Trey, Trey, you're going to, you're going to drop some hate. I'm not going to drop a whole lot of hate. There's a, there's a little bit of indifference, but it wasn't a bad game. <laughs> I'm not going to hate. I, I respect a lot of things about it. it it's sort of like a, uh, like a beloved relative. We didn't get together really and plot with. this, I promise you. We <laughs> this, this wasn't like a, a plotting thing. No, I, I don't dislike Shinmu. Uh, no, not at all. There's no hate. Hey, hold I'm on. Let's, no, this is, this is going to end. Because Shenmu, I of course, I had the official... Dreamcast magazine subscription um, because, you know, you got the demo disc every month and there was article after article, but it's coming. It's coming. Shenmue. It's already out in Japan. Look at these graphics, man. You can say it's like taking a trip to Japan. Full eyes react, whatever it was, full reactive eyes entertainment. Like this was the future of games. Look at the detail of his house. Like, look at you can see the individual books on his shelf, and he almost had like five fingers. Where you look at like Grand Theft Auto Three, he had a thumb and like a mitt. It was like wearing a, you know, like a mitten. Yeah. And 
when I saw that, I was so hyped up for this game. I was ready for it. I wanted it as soon as it came out because obviously, like I've talked about on the show, I like Japan. I, you know, I've finally been able to go there a couple of times. But when I was, whatever it was, 13, 14, I was able to take a trip to Japan through my Dreamcast and even go back in time to 1986, you know, the year a couple of us were born. So, that wasn't as big of an appeal to me, but just being able to go to Japan and have such an interactive environment to play around in and such a detailed environment to play around with was incredibly appealing. It was something that I had never seen because I didn't have like a PC where I could play. Uh, I'm sure there was something that was you know, pretty good on PC when you had you know, role-playing games that were starting to really get fleshed out into big open worlds on there. But for the consoles, like this is what we had for uh, an adventure game. And it it looked cool. Like there was the martial arts. I was into Jackie Chan at the time. Like I was, you know, watching Rumble in the Bronx every other weekend. And it looked like the perfect, uh, the perfect mesh of everything that I wanted out of the game. So, you know, again. It like it was the perfect storm for you at that age. Yeah, and it was just, I was, I am easily hyped. I'm easily hyped for stuff. I'm willing to admit that. And when, it, you know, again, when it was in that official Dreamcast magazine, like every month there would be like a four page spread about it. And I think the in the review, they gave it a perfect score. Everyone, or at least the, the outlets that I was looking at, were giving it a perfect score, like IGN Dreamcast and Dreamcast magazine, like the hard hitting outlets for yeah. your Dreamcast information. Question everything. Exactly. And so I, again, I went down to, to the EB Games. I uh, had a job at this point working at the grocery store in the produce department. So I was able to uh, plop down uh, my forty nine ninety nine, pick up my 3D GD ROMs and go home. And, and to be honest, another big aspect that, that kind of drew me to the game is I was one of those guys that had SegaNet. I had a SegaNet subscription, like not even just an internet subscription to use the 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 modem on the thing. I subscribed to SegaNet. I got my internet for my house from Sega. Okay. Oh wow! So uh, a big part about the Shenmue game was also the the passport that was the fourth disc in the system, which promised things like an online community. And the ability to trade, like there's these things called gachapon, which are really the, they're like the vetting machines that pop out those little toys in the game where you could go log into the passport and trade the gachapons with other people in the world. So like that's, I was like, yeah, another reason I can just do something besides play NFL 2K1. I can also play Shenmue online, but I'm trying to I'm trying to go back to the year 2000 and think like you know that this sort of stuff today is so commonplace but like all the stuff you were just mentioning in 2000. 2000 that's kind of mind blowing stuff. Yeah, and I, I even have the I have the uh, the case with me right now, and I was I was even looking through the instructions to rebrush uh, my memory, but like listen to this. Okay, so there these are some of the features. You can uh, get uh, Nozomi's messages. In this section, Nozomi will provide uh, you with game information or hints tailored to match your current game progression level. So it will look at your save game and give you hints on what to do next. So if, you're having, if you get stuck, you log into the passport, go to, 
talk to uh, Nozomi and she'll help you out. Uh, Because new information is downloaded every time you connect via the internet, each individual user can receive appropriate information needed for their particular situation in the game. So that includes clues, information, and the ability, like you have the ability to unlock uh, pieces of the soundtrack in the the game. Uh, You can go to the uh, the manual online like it was like stuff that was really not happening uh, anywhere else and if you can believe this the use you know like you ever do anything online there's like a 48 page user agreement or user agreement this had right. this had two pages in the instruction book hmm. that's it yeah this is straight to the point I like it and uh, finally don't forget to check out Shenmue.com. Use this link to access the official Shenmue website. Uh, view our beautiful graphics, find out about the latest events, and get the hottest Shenmue information available, like the sequel. All right. So it's uh, it's really cool. And, and Yu Suzuki signs the credits on the the back of the instruction book. So, I, again, it was it was cool. Something that stands out to me, talking about Yu Suzuki, Yu Suzuki's signature appearing as well, is that you know he really approached this game sort of like an auteur. It was uh, like really promoting that he was the person behind the game. And it was art, yeah. We see that a lot now, but with people like Ken Levine, but we don't see it. We didn't really see it as much back then. I thought that was pretty cool. Working like forever on this game, he was like I said. It was it started as a Sega Saturn game, and there's video if you can go take a look at the Sega Saturn version and just how butt ugly it looks. And you know, again, one of the big drawing points to this game is th- it was a beautiful game. the The visuals were the best that has ever been seen, that had ever been seen on a console up until that point. No one can argue that it was it was the best of the best. Maybe you could get some stuff on uh, a PC, but up until that point, that is what we had on the uh, the console. But you know, I, again, we it, you guys kind of both confirmed it is that the the Dreamcast was already in trouble. And it was on its kind of it was on its way out. So a lot of people did not give this game a vote of confidence, and not many people bought it. Even though it did sell a million copies, it was one of the top five best selling games on the console. But to to make profit off it, every Dreamcast owner would have had to buy it twice to, <laughs> for it to have not to have not lost money and. Obviously, that didn't happen, so it was a big money loser for for Sega. And um, you know, it's. It, it, I wonder it's how weird. I wonder how Sega ended up uh, pouring that much money into the game. I mean, I, mm. I don't mean in terms of a technical, um, because technologically, I can totally understand it from the time. But uh, just thinking, they started developing it on the Saturn, mm-hmm. and obviously, the scope of the game, the scale of the game, it would not appear on the Saturn since it wasn't a 2D game. Most 3D games kind of struggled there. And uh, I don't know. It just seems like they, they, they should have been under a better control of their budgeting. But I know this still happens to developers today, and it happens in films and all sorts of different areas where content's being created. But, you know, Sega, a company that was already struggling financially, it's just kind of shocking to me that they spent this much money making this game. It's like he had a blank check, and yeah, it I, is. I get another anecdote is that the Shenmue, what we know today is Shenmue 1 and Shenmue 2 was supposed to be the first game. They had to cut the story 
to get a game out, to start bringing money back in, to 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 even continue the series. So the whole first you know volume of the Shenmue series was supposed to be Shenmue one and two, and like he was talking, Suzuki was talking about having you know have it go across like five or six games. Like the story was was huge, but we we saw what happened. He tried to condense it for Shenmue two, and then we're kind of left at a cliffhanger at the end of two, which I haven't finished. So maybe we'll do that at some point because that is a very different game. Yeah, I, I'd like to do it, honestly, after experiencing the first Shenmue for the first time. That would be cool to see this through. Okay. So, see, this, see why this vocal minority wants the third one so badly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I, I played through probably the first three hours of it, uh, something like that, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a Dreamcast game. So the uh, last thing I want to talk about in terms of you know, my, my initial impressions back in the days is, is kind of, I probably should have brought this up earlier, but, you know, what was your history with Sega up until that point? Josh, did you have like a Sega Genesis or, you know, you said you were there uh, day one for, for the for the launch. Were you a, a huge like Sega fanboy or was the Dreamcast like different for you compared to the Genesis or the Sega CD and stuff like that? I was a Nintendo and Sega fanboy Growing up, uh, I wasn't really so much into Sony, even though I had a PlayStation at some point. Uh, I never, I actually never bought a PS2. I kind of got back in with Sony later on with the PS3. Uh, so yeah, I supported Sega. I had a Sega Genesis. I had a Game Gear. I had the TV tuner for the Game Gear. I uh, never owned a Saturn, but my best friend had a Sega Saturn. So I played almost the entire library at his house. The whole, the whole idea was that I would have a PlayStation and he would have a Saturn, which I don't know how I got roped into that. But anyway, I did. And so I was very excited about the Dreamcast, um, seeing that it had a really big 3D Sonic game. Uh, I was a big Sonic fan the way that I was a Mario fan as well. And so that was a big selling point for me that we were going to receive the the big 3D Sonic game that the Saturn never had. You know, because the Saturn was supposed to have Sonic Extreme, but that never really panned out. Although mm. the new Sonic Lost Worlds for Wii U kind of looks like that. I'm getting off track a little bit, though. Uh, so, yeah, it was all about Sonic Adventure. That was the main reason that I was there day one, was that I was I saw that same demo that you're talking about. I, I imagine it's the part where you're running away from the whale while it's coming at you on the screen. Yep. Yeah, so, I, I mean, playing that demo and just the sense of speed, it seemed incredible uh, little did I know what the, what the end game was going to be like, uh, but still, that was such a great set piece and you know cinematic moment in the Sonic series that I had to be there. And then the, the promise of internet play as well, mm-hmm. uh, which was through 56K, by the way, I might add, uh, was was very enticing. Well, you could pick up that network adapter if you wanted to, if you wanted to do some land gaming on the Dreamcast. Yeah, I, I think I didn't know that existed somehow, which I, maybe I should have been subscribed to it's the like, official Yeah, aspect. come on, guys. How could you not have that? And it also, on that disc, you had um, special VMU games that you could download to your VMU via the official Sega Dreamcast magazine, which I think that whole crew went on to be the Xbox official Xbox magazine. It was like the same publisher and same layout and stuff like that. Um yeah. Same thing, Trey. Was this kind of your first Sega console, or were you, you know, playing around with the Sega Genesis? Nope. This was my first Sega console ever, and 
I had been talking uh, with my buddies about it, and I guess my mom overheard me. And I, I won't say like I was like dying to have one, but it was, it was something that you know, like I, like I was interested in it. And I had a 64 at the time, and that's pretty much all I played. I didn't have a PlayStation. I actually got a PlayStation One around the time the PS2 came out. But uh, I had I had mentioned it a couple times, and my mom heard me, so she went out and she bought me one. And she got wow. me uh, Power Stone and House of the Dead 2. And then later on, I got NFL 2K, and that was like my favorite football game ever because I just I think the last time I played a football game was Madden on Super Nintendo. So it was big jump up for me but yeah this this is my first sega system everybody i knew had a nintendo or a playstation i didn't know anybody that had a saturn um or genesis or anything like i I had a buddy that told me like we met like when i was like 13 or 14 around the time the genesis or the dreamcast came out but he told me about having a genesis with the sega channel and all this stuff but never knew anything about that stuff i was always nintendo up until that point how did so, your mom know to get you a uh, Power Stone? I don't know. It was one of the launch games. It was just it, probably it just was, one of the games that was, you know. Yeah, she was, just she picked that up. Uh, I was. It I looks was, like it looks like a kid friendly game too, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, I the the big thing around for me when I was in middle school, everybody liked Dragon Ball Z, and like she said, that reminded her of Dragon Ball Z. I don't know, like there's no similarities to me, but to her, apparently there was. So well, she you got, got a great game out of it in the end. So, oh yeah, definitely. I really liked it. And House of the Dead too. I don't know what she was thinking, but you know, <laughs> I didn't. She didn't give me any sports games because the only sport I really played was baseball, and I don't think there was a baseball game, if I remember correctly, that launched with it. But no. I ended up getting the football game on my own and liked it. But yeah, this this was my first experience with Sega, like ever, and I never had any ill feelings toward them or anything. I just never, never played any other systems, so it was. First and only, I guess. So it was kind of like you became friends with Sega, like while Sega had just been diagnosed as terminally ill. Yeah, you know, I was kind of there for him at the end. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I was a supporter. I was a good friend. I looked out for him. Sweet, but yeah, yeah, I, I was trying to be supportive. Totally, like off the, off the path. But I even went. I was like, I was done with the Dreamcast when the PS2 came out. I'm like. I have to get that. I saw Madden 2000 and I forget what the first, maybe it was, I forget what I saw on PS2 or maybe I was just like sick of my Dreamcast and I traded in the Dreamcast for a PS2 and then it ended up reversing. I sold like my PS2 on eBay and went back and got a Dreamcast in 2001 when they were $99 and came with NFL 2K2, NBA 2K2, World Series Baseball 2K2. It was that black sports package oh, yeah. uh, for 99 bucks, which is like a f- crazy deal. <laughs> like it was, it was like they were at the end. <laughs> and um, I was able to kind of go back and hit up the the, the fun- local Funko Land and pick up some some of the games that I had missed. But it is still it's it's one of those systems that I have so much love for because of the the again the time period in my life and also the ability to be the first time where I could buy games because I had a job so I was buying stuff like when Code Veronica came out like I had to have that game it looked so good I was just so I was so easy to get fooled by good graphics whether it be a good game or not even though that is that is a good game but um maybe we could do a whole Dreamcast episode like on the 
importance of like jet grind radio or jet set radio uh, and, and, and things like that. All right. So, good idea. Yeah. I, I got a little quick story here. Yeah, go for it. Dreamcast. Do you guys remember Media Play? Did you ever have one of those? Media Play? Like a, yeah, no. they were it was a, it was like a chain store. It was the same. It was owned by uh, Sam Goodies. Uh, I can't remember. They went out. Of he had business. Sam Goodies. That's about it, though. Yeah, Sam Goodies and Media Play were in the same. Like com- they were owned by the same company, but they went out of business. But uh, I remember uh, when the Dreamcast was out, they they sold those along with the N sixty four and PS one games. But they would never have the Dreamcast games out on the floor. They always had them in the back. They did not support the system whatsoever. And like there was actually an employee that I remember because I would go I would go in there looking for like games or whatever, and the employee was always like really arrogant and he always made comments about how Sega was done and all this and you know they went out of business and I went in there and I think you know I was looking for PS2 stuff at that point but uh, he he cornered me because I had gone on there and a lot he talked to me he's like he said ha ha you see the Dreamcast has gone out of business and my buddy's standing right there he's like well he goes it's fine he goes you're gonna go out of business soon too. And the guy's like, whatever, we'll never go out of business. And then two years later, <laughs> they went out of so, business. So you see what happens when you talk badly about Sega. That's right. You don't go after Sega. Sega will take you down. I don't know how they took them down, but they went down. So, But, yeah, it was a strange strange thing because they were corporate. I mean, they they had more than one store, but they they told us that they, would, they wouldn't have any Dreamcast stuff out on the floor because it didn't sell and they didn't want to waste their floor space with Sega stuff. Wow. Like it seemed like that store well, in general you, hated Sega. That's a, I mean it's a great point because you you have to remember the the pressure that Nintendo and Nintendo and Sony were coming off of pretty successful consoles and Nintendo has always been known to be a huge pain in the ass to retailers about floor space and things like that because they had the pullback at that time period. Sega was screwing retailers over and over and over again, and they were already pissed off because of what they did to the Sega Saturn. A, releasing it on like the day it was announced, so retailers were not ready to sell it, and also the fail, like all the extra Sega hardware they had left on the shelves with the CD, 32X, Sega Saturn. So retailers weren't super pumped about Sega already. They were more on the sides of the Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation 1 and getting ready for PlayStation 2 because the PlayStation 1 was so immensely successful. So Dreamcast already had um you know didn't did not have the 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 side of the the retailers uh going for them. So it was a bad position to be in right right away. Yeah, and they had, you know, around the time this happened, Microsoft had announced the Xbox, but they hadn't released it yet. So I guess they were planning to make space for that too i don't i mean it, it was it was just weird their attitude towards sega it was you know i mean i was young i didn't really pay attention to it like i do now so i was just like wow these guys are being dicks yeah yeah and um now i want to uh, talk quickly before we go into the present day the again i when i first stepped into the world and i it, the the visuals did blow me away being able to walk around, talk to anyone, and see that everyone had their own daily patterns. Like to see people would go to their jobs or you would see kids that would not be around in the morning, but in the afternoon they would be around because they're out of school. Or uh, the going into a convenience store and being able to see all the things that you could buy at the convenience store, going into a restaurant and seeing how detailed everything was. And you know, you could see there was like a lot of shops that were kind of shut down 
but the things that were open that you could go into, the detail was incredible. Same thing, uh, like we mentioned before, the the arcade. That was so cool to be able to step into an arcade in 1986, be able to play Space Harrier, Hang On, which uh, it seemed like the uh, the emulation wasn't bad on on those, but I was it was kind of weird. But the uh, being able to Again, that the the world is is what that game was. It wasn't the story wasn't super great. It was kind of generic, but being able to be immersed in that world, having the weather change on you, walking through the streets on near Christmas, like on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and seeing uh, a guy dressed up as Santa Claus walking around, like that was n- never never done in games, like I, I, except for. Um, I guess Animal Crossing was wasn't out at that point, but I don't know in if it Japan, was Japan on N sixty four. On N sixty four out of the States on GameCube. Okay, so anyways, there you know, there were there were new things and breakthrough things that were going on in this game that I couldn't get anywhere else. And it was going into a world. It wasn't just playing a game, it was going into a world and experiencing it instead of just going in and killing a bunch of dudes. So uh, well, and even the time period, you know, setting a game in 1986. It's when, yeah. Back then, almost every game was, you know, in some distant future, mm-hmm. which we still see a lot of that today. So that was a very unique time period to go for that realism, sort of postmodern realism of the late 80s. And they were faithful. Like they made sure, you know, everything that was in the game except for I mean, there were some weird things that were kind of from the future like the virtual fighter things in the vending machines and stuff like that but uh you know the vending machines another cool thing it was it's one of those things that kind of like attracts me to japan oddly enough is like their interesting soda vending machines being able to get canned coffee in a vending machine that was something that i had never seen before up until that point and you know i think that it is very possible that this game might have been one of those influences that made me get more interested in the country and wanting to go check out that incredible dense area and this this the game was dense like there was so many things there were names on every one of the houses you could you know meet so many people throughout the game that had their own story and their dialogue like any rpg would change over the course of events once a major event happened everyone would have something new to say about it so it was uh they did a good job i mean it's it's a decent game it has some faults which uh i think we'll talk about in the next segment but it 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 did you know do some really cool stuff for the time period. So anything else, guys? Before we we take a quick break and then come back for the revisiting section. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I just want to say I'm glad it exists. Just thinking about all those things, it was a really important game, even if it didn't sell quite the way that it needed to to keep the Dreamcast afloat. Yeah, and I don't think it even killed Sega. Sega got bought by Sammy. It, yeah, by a Pachinko company. Is so doing a lot of things to themselves, like yeah. we talked about with the Saturn launch anyway. Good job, Sega. Stick around. We'll be right back. Here's some more music from Shenmue.
Okay, we're back in 2013, and for the past week, we have gone and revisited Shenmue. I will preface this and say that on the NeoGAF forums, I, I did a late-to-the-party thread on this game about two years ago, where I, for the first time, played completely through the game in a couple days, and like I said, I bought it when it came out, but I ended up getting sidetracked and stuck in the game and... I didn't finish it. So that does have some influence on what I am ab- about to say. So let's Did you start completely over this time. Yeah. I, well, because my last save, I have my VMU save, but it's at the end of the game. So <laughs> I had to, uh, I kind of didn't have a choice. So the, I think the game does start off kind of uh, slow, but it's good in introducing you to some of like what you need to know in terms of interaction with with the world you could spend and I did go I spent like a half an hour just inside my house going through all the draws because I know I know there's like stuff in there like oh yeah I got to find that stuff again I can't remember where it was or like go check out that Sega Master System that's sitting under your TV um like the again just getting kind of used to the, the incredible detail in the uh game again but we mentioned a lot of the cool stuff about the game before, but one of the big things that makes this game a little bit of a drag and hard to play today, especially when we're used to like having a little bit of uh, the game tailored to our time needs, is the pacing and like needing to wait for things to open up <laughs> because it had a you know a day cycle, which. Um, I forget exactly how long it takes. I think it takes about um, an hour to cycle through a whole day or half an hour to cycle through a whole... No, it's. I think it's an hour to cycle through 24 hours. And the, you know, with the story, you have to sometimes wait for something to open up or you have to wait for a meeting at 6 o'clock at night. Once you just talk to someone who set this meeting at 8 a.m., you have to now set your controller down, let the game kind of play or... You know, maybe that's why they put in the arcade so you could go and play some space area, but who's going to really play that for 45 minutes while you're waiting for this meeting to come up, come up later at night? So what what did you guys kind of see is what what kind of stood out as you revisited the game? Trey, what did you see before your Dreamcast died? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, visually I'm trying to go back and, you know, my biggest problem is I just played The Last of Us. And going back and playing this, the audio was driving me insane. Other than that, visually it is a very good looking game for you know, the time that it came out. Um the the one thing that I'm I don't know, I I think it's because I've played so many games now that have quick time events and I'm just sick of them. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I think Shinmu got an unfair playthrough from me because I didn't play it when it first came out and I tried to play it now and I've played all this other stuff and like I think playing all that other stuff kind of made my viewpoint of this game more negative than it should have been. So when in fact this probably influenced that other stuff. Exactly, exactly. I felt like I was playing something that laid the groundwork for all the stuff that I've played recently, but I wasn't able to enjoy it because, you know, it's foundational stuff. You know, it, it's stuff that come along, and it's it's for the time that it was out and what it did, it's, it's you know, I can respect that. You know, it, it's a great game. It's just, I think everything that I've played up until now 
going back and playing it, I, I don't think I, I don't think, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Let's I'm, I'm let's pu- hey, I'll, I'll I'll jump in for a second because I forgot to ask, how did you play this game? Because I I played it hooked up through my VGA box through my Dreamcast up into my HDTV, and I thought it looked great. Did you? How, how did you uh, play the game? Was it on a tube or, or HDTV? It was, it was on HDTV, was, and, it, and it did look good. I mean, it, it looked really good. Um, but I, I, the quick time events and the waiting around, I, I don't know. You know oh, I had man. a screaming baby that I would have to go attend to, so that helped the time kind of pass by a little bit, but... You mentioned the audio. The audio is that the audio compression is ridiculously bad. It was just the music, the soundtrack of the game is fantastic. The voice acting yeah. made me want to like punch something. Yep. Like uh, there is a pretty big uh, disparity between the two. And that's between the I voice think, acting and the music. Yeah, I agree, and I think I think the voice acting because I just played The Last of Us, and you know that's almost like a movie. And then I go back and play this, and it sounds like they're like they're in like. A compressed area recording these voices. I'm just like, oh my god, why is this happening? Well, it's the the direction too is is pretty bad. The children in the game are terrible. The people are the the actors that they got to do the the children's voices are borderline. Um, you know, m- want you to kill want you to kill yourself. So it's it's really really uh, hard to 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 get immersed when you're doing that. So I did, you know. Uh, the the probably the smarter thing to do, and I, I turned off the the voice acting, and I just did the um, text the text boxes. That's a good idea, and it it, it keeps you from getting like pulled out of uh, that experience. And a lot of people say, "Oh, well, just listen to the the Japanese uh, voices." You can only do that in Shenmue too. You can't do it in Shenmue one. There is I was no. About to ask you. Yeah, yeah, I was about to ask you that because I, I I was gonna do that, and I think when I decided I was gonna see if that option was available, no. that's when you know, the Dreamcast decided to uh, end itself for me. So you know, it, the voice acting is really the voice acting and the quick time events. I don't I don't know. I just I I, I get kind of frustrated. With I think those, it's part but. of the time period though. Like if we go back to any PS one, even PS two era games, uh, GameCube games, the voice acting, Resident Evil. You know, Silent Hill. The voice acting is going to be terrible because the the production yeah. quality just wasn't there at that time period. And yeah, and that's a good point. I'm I'm not trying to pin that just on Shenmue. You know, it's just it's something I noticed after what I've played recently compared to you know going back and playing these retro games. You know, it's something I should expect, but I I don't know. I don't know if it was I, I don't know if it was the the tone. You know, it was you know there's a lot of serious moments in the game. And they didn't come off to, as serious to me. I don't know if it was because of that, but that was one of the things that kind of stood out. I can't remember if you said that you played this game uh, 13 or 14 years ago, or if this was your first time ever playing it. First time ever playing it. I knew a buddy that had a Dreamcast that played it a little bit, but he moved away, so I didn't get to see him finish it. Okay. But uh, this, yeah, this, this would be a strange game to just play, having not right. played it at all back then. But that—that's part of the reason I enjoy doing these podcasts so much. You know, it's going to give me an opportunity to play stuff I didn't play. So mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, this—I was excited about this this week because this is a game that we're going back to, but I had never actually played. So this is a first-time, you know, experience for me. So it—it's it, good, but you know, there was just some things that stuck out to me, and I'm not trying to sound like insensitive or anything. It's just. Kind of. It's just a video game. No one's getting hurt. Oh yeah, I know. I know. 
<laughs> I feel kind of bad right now. Uh, Wait, yeah, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let's <laughs> let's bring this back because, again, it's it. This is like the sci-fi films of the '80s. You know, when it is a game that is more or less easily carbon dated to its its date and location because you can you can kind of see what they were trying to do and you get stuck with the limitations that they had at the time and it, it is never going to hold up like super nintendo games or sega saturn games where 2d was as good as it was going to get like that was as the best of the best the music is where it needed to be the animation was where it needed to be and this was still like in that in-between area of 3d and we really probably didn't get to good 3d polygonal environments and characters until this pre this past generation with the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360, maybe to some extent with the Xbox and PS2 and GameCube later in their years. But this, That's a really good point. We, I'm just saying, like, you know, when revisiting this stuff, you kind of have to always keep this stuff in context as best you can. Right. Even though if you didn't have fun with it, that, you know, you didn't have fun with it. Like, I'm not saying uh, that is the thing because there are some problems with the game, but there's still uh, some fantastic pieces in, in in the game and it is if anything it's just like going back and watching a movie that you are reliving memories that you had of when it first came out like 20 years ago and it's never going to hold up to it's not going to be like back to the future or ghostbusters today where the visuals aren't going to really matter to you too much because the acting is there and the story is there it's just a different medium so it's always going to be hard to to compare any of this stuff as we start getting any place like at the Dreamcast and, and farther on. But Josh, obviously... It's, it's an interesting thing to say, though, you know, in terms of looking at it through the lens of the time period. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we have to kind of do our best to do that. But like I said, if it's it's not... If I bought this game today and I started playing through it, or if you just picked up a Dreamcast, I would still say, you know, play through Shenmue and try to remember what you were playing in 1999 and 2000 and how this would compared to it and there's still a lot of heart in this game there's tons of heart and like the like the little things when you go to the pier the 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 dumb stuff like the the forklift races like that's still that's still kind of fun they're easy but it's fun and uh kind of hanging around the pier listening to the 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 environment around you and seeing little things like the fishermen who would fish in one area one day and then you would come back to work the next next day and those two friends that were out there fishing would be in a completely different location trying to catch fish like it had the attention to detail that is still not always seen in every game that comes out today so that is still what kind of uh it why it holds up for me and why i can still go back and and have some fun with it and obviously the combat it's it's virtual fighter 2 combat which isn't bad if you you know didn't hate virtual fighter too but josh obviously i mean you went back like what like what was your experience going into it are you still uh you know kind of negative on the game or no so i'm somewhere between you and trey because trey was playing it for the first time although he was aware of it back then um you sounded like you played it pretty thoroughly back in the day am i right kevin I got to the third disc, but never finished it. But I completed it completely about two years ago, and then I got okay. through the whole game again. Because going back to it, I was talking to Trey off the air. Going back to it right now, after playing through it two years ago, was not enough time to forget stuff. Like I blew through this game. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, and I could see that. Whereas for me, it had been all the difference of 2000 to 2013. So 13 years or 12 and a half years uh, going on that. So uh, I had some experience with it. I played a little bit of the first disc when I rented it back in 2000. But, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't really looking at it through the lens of nostalgia, though, as it wasn't a game that I fell in love with at the time. But I will say one thing I remember about playing it back then that, that I still notice today was was the scale and the scope, like we're talking about, like you guys have already been saying. Uh, it was just, it was impressive to me then, and it's still impressive to me now. And uh, have you guys played Sleeping Dogs? Great no. game. Yeah. Uh, good. Sleeping oh, Dogs. good call. <laughs> What's that? Good call. I see where you're going with it. Yeah. So Sleeping Dogs came out uh, in 2012, uh, and it came out on PlayStation 3, 360, and I believe PC. And it's an open world game set in Hong Kong, and you do uh, so. So basically, the story isn't quite as noble as, as what our character is doing here in Shinmu, but you could tell the game was certainly influenced by Shinmu in many ways, and and so that's kind of playing it thirteen years later. I thought a lot about the fact that we wouldn't have Sleeping Dogs had Shinmu not existed first, right? That something like Sleeping Dogs at that scale. Uh, wouldn't quite exist. And one thing that I noticed is that there are areas in Shinmu that, yes, they're not visually as detailed, but I would say that they're that they're denser, that they're more packed with with things going on than Sleeping Dogs, even. And I played through Sleeping Dogs completely and love the game, but uh, some of the sections in in Shinmu, I would say that there's a little bit more to do. Actually, there's more people to talk to, and, and you feel like you have a little bit more agency in the open world than you do sometimes in Sleeping Dogs. Now, the core gameplay of Sleeping Dogs is, is a little bit more entertaining, but still, that's that's sort of an interesting comparison that I wanted to bring up. Uh, a couple other things that I wanted to say: the notebook. This is sort of a small aspect of the game, but you have a notebook where you're constantly writing things down. Um, I think that that's a really nice thing in retrospect because it gives you a reminder of what you've learned and what you've experienced so far without telling you exactly what to do. So like, let's say you played the game a little bit and then you didn't get to play it again um, until like a week or two later. This is a pretty big game. So to be able to come back and, and to sort of read through your notes a little bit to see what's going on is a really helpful thing. And, and I wish game designers today would would look at this small aspect of Shinmu and see how helpful it really could be. Uh, so I said a lot of positive things. So I feel like I've earned my one negative thing I want to say real quick. So uh, one thing that takes me out of the experience, you guys were talking about the voice acting and that's a really good idea to just turn the voice acting off and instead do uh, subtitles. Uh, for me, it was just sort of these, strange animations that characters would go through sometimes when you were just walking in the city or talking to someone else. I, I jotted down a couple of examples. One of them uh, happens pretty early in the game when you're talking to a couple of kids. And one of the kids, the boy, just keeps holding his hands up and sort of raising the roof over and over again while you're talking to the other kid. Uh, a little bit strange. And then another conversation, there's, there's a woman who just leans completely over while Rio is talking to the other woman. So I get the idea was to have the characters doing something so that they would look real, so they wouldn't just be standing there all the time, not moving. But these these animations almost came off as awkward in a world that was trying to feel real and believable. 
so yeah, I appreciate the game. I see it as being pretty incredible in scope, but not all that much fun to play in 2013. Oh man, you, you tell me you didn't like Tom, the Jamaican hot dog truck dealer, and how you know racially sensitive that was. Uh, you know, Sega hey, man. games from the '90s, especially, were just always racially sensitive. So. Oh god. All right. So uh, you brought up a good point with the sleeping dogs. And I think, you again, if you're, if you're going into Shenmue thinking a big open world, it's not. It's super small and it's super dense. It's, uh, it is what it is. But um, it but is. The density is, is nice, you know. It, it's something, something you that. don't find in any other game. That's right. That's absolutely right. And, and I would take that over a huge, almost empty open world. Well, if you, if you, if you, want something that is kind of current day that is kind of like this but on a bigger scale uh i would check out the yakuza games yakuza 3 and 4 on the playstation 3 excuse me and yakuza 1 and 2 on the playstation 2 also set in japan Mm -hmm. lots of detail you can go into like pachinko parlors and like places like uh Sega arcades and things like that. Oh god, what the hell are they called? Sega. Oh my god, what the hell are the places called? I'm drawing club Club thing. Segas, Club Segas, uh, and check out like the cool candy cabs that they have in there and stuff like that, and the UFO machines. So you can get like it seems like that's kind of the spiritual successor to the Shenmue series. So if you want to get something that is like it in current day, check out Yakuza Three and Four. They're under $20 on Amazon new and uh, you can get a little taste without having to pull out a Dreamcast. I think there's about to be a Wii U HD remake of one and two as well. And uh, yeah. And on PS3 and on PS3. Okay. Very good. Um, supposedly the Wii U version is not super great, but it has a great commercial that goes along with it. If you saw that. Well, when in doubt, at least the advertising is good. Finally, the ending was very abrupt. Like I said, it kind of, was supposed to be two games in that first volume. Shenmue 1 and 2 was supposed to be one game. So you you finish off the game, getting on the boat, going to China. And we didn't, like, the, the crazy thing is, this most stuff that we talked about this game, we didn't talk about the story because you really, it's a very basic revenge story where you're going after this guy named Lan Di. You're trying to find out who he is. He killed your father. Why? Um, you know, he's looking for this mystical mirror. The the story is not super interesting. It's really the the world, I think, more than anything that that drew people to it. Although you know the story in Shenmue Two is supposed to get much better, the pace picks up quite a bit. Where the pacing is very slow in the first game, so uh, that is where people should head. And it's easily available on the Xbox One. It's backwards compatible on Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. And if you want, you can import the European version of Shenmue 2 and play it on your Dreamcast with a, a boot disc and it has the Japanese voice acting with English subtitles so that is weird that sounds ideal yeah I mean it's and it's one of those things that we never got over here like Shenmue 2 didn't get it come out to America they just didn't think it would be worth releasing out here that's how quickly the Dreamcast fell into obscurity so I will say it is uh probably a game that played a lot better in the past but it's still worth taking a look at if you can find it cheaper like i said go check out yakuza 3 or 4 or like josh said go check out sleeping dogs which is a fantastic game nonetheless and has a beautiful world that you can explore uh 
in you know going to China, but obviously the sequel uh, for Shenmue Two takes place in China as well. So you have those parallels there. So I guess at the end of the day, you know, maybe not the strongest of Dreamcast titles in terms of how it holds up. You could always, uh, I guess, throw in something else like some Virtua Tennis or some. Uh, you know, Zombie Revenge, some Dynamite Cop, some fan- fantastic arcade games. But I guess we will not be going back to Shenmue anytime soon. But maybe we'll get uh, together and do Shenmue 2 at some point. Uh, I just want to say one more thing. Uh, I-, I really hope that Shenmue 3 is made at some point in time. It's, you know, people have been really holding out a long time for that, and they deserve it. How many people want Shenmue 3? How many copies is that going to sell? I think if they kickstarted it and they and they asked for like five mil, I bet they could almost get five million bucks. I think it would. Uh, yeah, absolutely. From the like thirty-seven or thirty-eight people who really want it. Yeah, they, I mean, they would all donate their their organs for for money and stuff like that to help help it. But like I said, I think Sega moved on. They they do the Yakuza series, which is pretty popular. There's three Yakuza games on the PS3, including the Dead Souls. Uh, is it Dead Souls? Yeah, I think it's Yakuza Dead Souls, which is like is. a zombie game. Uh, so they're having fun with that series, and they're coming out with a fifth one. So that might be where you're going to have to go. Yeah, sounds like it. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to be right back with some news and then our retro recommendations for this week's episode. Stick around. We're back for the final segment where we're going to be talking about some brief retro news and then our recommendations for the week and a little preview of what we have coming up for next week's episode. And uh, just some quick stuff like we always talk about virtual console, and it's you know, I guess it is kind of news. They finally got the Mega Man 6, the final NES Mega Man game on the 3DS. If you want to pick that up, although four or five and six are kind of weird, I think six is an interesting game to check out. It is probably. Compared to four and five, I think it would be the one to check out out of the three. And it is just a weird game. They kind of threw everything into that because it was like up until this point, they were releasing Mega Man games like every 10 months Mm -hmm. for the last three games. It was nuts. And then 64 had already been out for two years. Sorry, the Super Nintendo had already been out for two years in the United States when Mega Man 6 came out. So it obviously didn't sell very well. Um and then uh, Splunker is also on there as well, which is a terrible game. It is a <laughs> terrible NES game that people should not play, but it is one of those games like in Japan, you'll see stacks and stacks and stacks of that, like Tower of Duraga. When you go to the retro game shops for 100 yen, it is all over the place. And for some reason, people in Japan like that piece of shit. It is not, it's not a good game, so don't, 
don't spend your five dollars on the 3ds on it but we're not going to really do virtual console stuff retronauts is coming back soon so hopefully they'll do it virtual console like i want to make a quick note like what are they waiting on for the wii u like no we're not doing this again we're not doing this again try I, I want my link to the past. I just looked at the future releases. There are two games that they have on the future releases. Pilot Wings on the 4th of July and Donkey Kong on the 15th of July. What the hell is taking so long? Well, I'll tell you what you could do instead. You can spend $99. No. You can go to Amazon.com. You can get an Ouya. <laughs> no. And I've heard that thing has not been getting good reviews, though. But, you know, it, it, it comes pre-packed in with emulators for Super Nintendo and NES, and... All you got to do is go to your, you know, www.nesromswithaz.com and I don't know if that's a real website or just romswares, type in nesWares with a Z and, and to, into AltaVista and you'll find it. And the uh, throw that stuff on a USB stick, plug it into the back of the thing, hook up a PlayStation 3 controller and you have every single Super Nintendo game, every single NES game in about five minutes. And all Sad. completely above board legal uh, and they play uh, great like the emulators seem to be i saw some videos of the nes emulator and it's perfect it's great is it really yeah and it and it upscales fantastically i, I do so i want to say a couple things about the ouya uh first of all uh, it's fun to say no that's not okay so the <laughs> ouya is a hundred dollars uh i'm friends with with a community of game developers in lexington kentucky called run jump dev and uh, so, so it's really interesting being in with a group of indie developers because uh, you hear different perspectives than you do just as a consumer. And uh, they're all really interested in the Ouya and, all have, and almost all of them have stuff coming out on the Ouya because it's so easy to get stuff on there. And I know that Nintendo and Sony are both making strides to make their stuff a little bit easier to get onto as well. But Ouya is especially especially convenient and so just a little shout out to one of my friend's games it's called compromised uh, and it's coming out on the ouya pretty soon and it's sort of a twin stick shooter it has a lot of retro vibes to it and these guys certainly love uh love retro games so maybe just maybe the ouya will prove to be interesting for that reason or maybe you guys will just be loaded up with roms it should be interesting to see how this pans out because this is the first like major um sort of off-brand looking console that I can remember in a long time at least, right? That's not from some huge deep-pocketed corporation like Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo. Can you guys think of anything else like this on yeah, the scale? Yeah, I got a Game.com for Christmas one year from those same grandparents that hooked me up with so many great video games in the past. I got a Game.com and Williams Arcade Classics and Lights Out. Was was it, wasn't that by Tiger Electronics? Game. Yeah, it was still shit. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really. But it had Duke Nukem, and dude, like in the back of that box, like, oh my god, I'm gonna get Duke Nukem 3D for this. I'm gonna get Resident Evil 2 for this. Are you nuts? Of course, I'm gonna buy this thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, those those games are terrible. They go like Did one frame per second. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. One, I one to two frames per second with the sound of a 386 computer game. It's pretty hot. Like some prodigy level shit. Uh, sort of like a TI-83 calculator is sort of what it reminded me of. The same same screen that it had, except it was touch capacitive or whatever it is. Right. Well, and the TI-83 had that bowling game, which was probably a little bit better than 
Resident Evil 2. But the, the, the XCOM, or the, Jesus Christ, the, the GameCom had a, a, a 28.8K uh, modem that you could get for it and check your email and stuff on it. That was another reason. I wanted that modem so bad. But again, I would have needed internet access as an 11-year-old, which uh, wasn't going to happen. I did not have the funds to, to, to continue to do that. But with the, the Ouya, I mean, the, the emulation stuff is super cool, but I will never do it because I don't play games through emulation just because I uh, if I have like a list of 700 games, I, I just won't play any of them because I get A, overwhelmed, and B, I don't have value in them. And mm-hmm. I would rather, like, I'm still, even on this trip, like I was in Chicago and I was burning some time in the hotel last night. I'm like, maybe I should buy a, a game for the flight back. Maybe I should get Zelda 2. I could finally start playing through that for once. And, you know, Trey will be off my ass. Because <laughs> it's, of course, the secret best Zelda game of all time. But the, uh, you know, I think, even though I own the game as like a hard copy, the, uh, the, the, the thing with the Ouya is just, I will never pick it up and I'll never emulate games on that level just because I like having the, I like having the physical stuff. I like having the cart. I like, you know, having a controller that it is meant to be played on, and that is something that uh, is going to be hard to replicate for myself. So I'd rather just buy the stuff. But if you're just some kid or you're like a guy that is introducing these games to your kids for the first time, it might be a cool way to to do it, to play around with some of that stuff. Uh, you just reminded me of something I want to say uh, in talking about Zelda 2. Uh, I believe this week we found out that Miyamoto said that was his – his like biggest disappointment in terms of a game that he was involved in making. Yeah, he's right. So I thought that was interesting that he came out and said that this week. Uh. The game is not, the, the, it's not a well-designed game. Trey. <laughs> oh, okay. Trey, I couldn't decide if, if uh, Kevin was being serious or not. So you don't like it. No, he's trolling me. Uh, of course. <laughs> but I think, I think the best part about Zelda two is the title music. Yeah, that's the, the best dun- part about it. <laughs> the dungeon music is awesome when you're when when you go through the dungeon. That's true. I'm like when I played Smash Brothers Melee and I and did the you know they had the Zelda um, level on there. When I heard that music, that updated version, I was like, oh my god, that is awesome. Well, that, even that's probably my favorite thing about that game. Even I did the whole. I was listening to like an 8-4 play a couple years ago. They're, they're somehow Zelda 2. I think they were doing like the Famicom episode of of that show and talking about Zelda 2. And I, I tried so hard. I even spent the first like two hours of the game and all I did was grind. I grinded for two hours before going to the first dungeon to like level up. And I beat the first dungeon and then I stopped playing. Yeah, yeah, you pretty much gotten a game's worth of experience out of it at that point. That game, that game is hard to it's hard to stay motivated in playing it because there's it, it's so cheap and the mechanics in it are so bad. Like it, it's it's hard to focus on it. Like I've beaten it twice, once, twice, twice. Wow, I've beaten it two times, and what? that that's that's it really. I mean, if I had to, if we decided to talk about it, I would go back and play it, but I would probably get angry. If you guys so wanted to do it, I'd play through it, but I'd, it'd have to be the 3DS, and I would cheat through save states. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress myself out, and I, I never oh, use yeah. save states on the, the 3DS uh, thing, but I, I would have to just because I would otherwise want to kill myself. No, we we the only way I'd be willing to do Zelda Two is if we run out of retro Zelda games to talk about. Yeah, 
Yeah, if we do every other retro game. Yeah. Well, we'll do Link to the Past when this fall, when oh. before the second one comes out. That I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, my wife just got me uh, Super Nintendo Model Two and uh, Link to the Past Ooh. for my birthday the other day. Oh, awesome. sweet. That is yeah. an awesome gift. Get that SVH. Uh, oh, actually, I don't think the SV, uh, S-Video cable works on that. It doesn't. No, oh. That's the only sad part. But it's a really sleek little device. It I've is. never had one. That Model 2, that's the ones with the, the individual buttons, right? Not the little slider power button? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, okay. It looks more okay. like a Famicom. It's actually the same design awesome. as the Super Famicom redesign in Japan. Yeah. So they actually that's didn't, right. they didn't right. change they did. it as they brought it over. Correct. That is awesome. For for all for everyone that wanted to know that, um, so I think that's there's really not a lot of like news that reflects to the the retro gaming stuff. I think there's uh, you know continued enthusiasm for uh, great like retro inspired indie games that are coming out, and that is uh, making me excited for my PlayStation Vita. But I think the uh, the future we're just gonna have to wait patiently for Nintendo to to pump some stuff out on the virtual console or uh, be very careful about going through eBay because, you know, prices are super high, but that, uh, more and more right now, like even with the consoles coming out, like I have a PS4 pre-ordered still, but I really am just excited to continue playing old stuff. Like old stuff is great. And you can, you have such a, your, all the stuff's already out. So you can just play the best. You don't have to play shit. It's great. Yeah, you yeah, don't have to wait for the good stuff it. to come out. Yep, you just hey, I want to play this awesome PS2 game. Okay, just go buy it. And it, yeah, and I wanted go. I wanted to quickly mention that I got that huge stack of Nintendo Power Mags and Players Guides in the mail, and those are so much fun to go through. The most surprising part was how harsh the Nintendo Power reviewers were. They were like, you think Edge is hard now? Like the like there were games in there that you would think to be a classic where they were giving like a 4.2 out of five for fun factor. Hmm. And, um, it was, it was really interesting to go back because they, you know, you think they would just like give everything super great scores because it was a Nintendo, you know, funded magazine, but I guess their editorial division had some integrity, maybe too much, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's still, it's, it's good to hear that they actually did that. And, you know, maybe yeah. there were so many great games coming out at the time mm. that, they they were a little too harsh in retrospect. I'm going to take some more pictures of the magazine, and I will post it. If you're a member of NeoGAF, you can go in there, and I will post some more pictures of the magazine so you can check it out. There's some really cool stuff about how the American version of the Super Nintendo was designed that, it, that are in the issues that I have. Um, some early Final Fantasy II stuff. It has actually pictures of the build of Zelda Three that I played at the mall, uh, which is cool. And... Um, uh, other really just interesting stuff to to look back on, and it's obviously really relevant to the uh, show, including I got codes for Journey to Silius for next week, got level select, oh, yeah. and I got extra continue code. Oh, yeah. In the, in the secrets, uh, top secret uh, section of Nintendo Power. So if you guys need that, I'll share that code with you because yeah, I'm probably going to need it. it. Dude, it's, it's a hard game. Um, all right, so... Let's wrap up with our recommendations for this week. Trey, you got an interesting one, so why don't you go first? Not in a bad way. In a good, it's a good way. Okay. I'm going to go with Paper Mario. Whoa, uh, what? Nintendo 64. No, what's your, what's your real pick for this week? 
Yeah, All come right. on. That was, you know, that was funny. All come right. on. All right, haters. Listen here. So it's Paper Mario for reals because it is an awesome game. And it was supposed to be the sequel to Super Mario RPG on the, uh, the Super NES, which, as everyone knows, is an amazing game. But apparently they ran into some issues with Square and decided to do it on their own terms. And they made Mario into like a little paper hmm. figure. I didn't know and, that's um, why they changed it. That's interesting. That's cool. Yeah, it was actually, yeah, uh, Paper Mario is actually called Mario Story in Japan. Um, it was supposed to be a direct sequel. And when Very they cool. had their little falling out with Square, they went their own way with it and decided to make it into a whole new thing. So it, it's fun game. It's it's lighthearted. It's more lighthearted than Mario normally is. Um, but it's fun. It's got some light RPG elements. It's not full blown RPG like um like Super Mario RPG is, but it's got some cool Easter eggs in there. It's got a good story and it's really funny and it's uh the predecessor to Paper Mario Thousand Year Door on GameCube, which is my favorite one in that franchise. So I'm gonna go with Paper Mario sixty four. It's lighthearted, it's fun, it's good, you need to play it. Trey, um, did Intelligent Systems develop that one? Do you know? I believe so. Because their writing really is great. I, I think they did. Hold on, I'm looking at it right now. I want to say they did. Just so, just so yeah, you're happy with me, Trey, um, I, I just ordered Animal Crossing New Leaf for it was in my Boom. my gold box for twenty two dollars. Nice. So that was the price that I guess I I am okay with. So as oh, you how could you afford not to at that point? I just game. I don't know if it's going to be any good or not. It's it, it's enjoyable. I've had fun with it so far. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Although I can't like, I mean, I I it, it's it's a it's a fun time waster. Like I've been having a hard time finding stuff to like devote a lot of time to besides what we're playing for the podcast, and then you know like stuff I'm playing on my 3ds. But I don't I haven't played any like major console games just because. You know, I've got a baby that I have to tend to every now and then, so I don't want to get in the middle of something to only have to run and take care of that. Obviously, I'm oh, not upset enough, yeah. about it. It's just one of those things. But, you know, Animal Crossing is a good way to, you know, relax and enjoy some games. It's fun. Agreed. But Paper Mario, though, you need to play that. That's good stuff. It is developed by Intelligent Systems. And it is on the Virtual Console. Yes, the Wii one. Not yes. the Wii U because they suck. Because nothing's on the Wii U Virtual yeah. Console. Well, again, I okay. Anyways, uh, Josh, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, Josh, what do you got? Um, typing of the dead. It's yeah, the, relevant. Yeah, Dreamcast game. Um, I had the Dreamcast hooked up. It's one that my wife and I love to play together, guys, uh, and people listening to this. Buy the Dreamcast keyboards. Buy typing of the dead and play it with someone. It's it is great local multiplayer. If you don't know what the game is, it's essentially. Excuse me, I, I wasn't emotional just then. I just had to cough. Um, House of the Dead Two, um, which Trey got for Christmas one year. It's House of the Dead Two, uh, but with the main characters walking around carrying Dreamcasts that are strapped to their back and keyboards, which is really funny. And you're typing instead of shooting in order to kill the enemies from that game. Um, so it's it's if you're familiar with like Mavis Beacon or Bacon or whatever it's called, um, it's kind of like that. And you're, and you're typing to complete objectives, typing really weird phrases. Um, sometimes there are like references to like your grandmother liking punk rock and stuff like that. Uh, what the hell? Yeah, That's which most, most grandmothers do. So uh, I recommend this game highly. It's a lot of fun. 
I have a confession that I have a Sega Dreamcast keyboard from when I signed up for SegaNet, and I've never played this game. Oh, dude, it's pretty cheap. I think you can still pick it up. Yeah, it's brand new uh, for twenty one bucks, free shipping on uh, eBay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend it big time, and that's the only way that you can play it. I believe it was on. Um, I can't remember the name of the service now. One of those monthly service things. That you oh pay yeah, um, Game Tap. Game Tap. That's it. Man. It was on that for a while. Now it's not. Okay. I got I got a hard hitter for you guys. Um, this is a Super Famicom game, so you will have to import it. But a 3DS version sequel just came out, and you can pick it up. I think I don't know if the 3DS version is coming to America or not, but it's uh, Umihara Kawase, and it is a game about a girl with a yo-yo, and uh, or no, like she has a not. A, it look kind of looks like a yo-yo, but it's really a like a grappling hook, a la Bionic Commando, but the you can hook onto things, and it's, man, I'm not doing a good job describing this game. So, okay, it's like a claw. It's like you think about those toy games, like those UFO catchers, where it's a claw where it'll come down and grab something, but you can point it and then grab onto the structure, and then it can you can shorten the leash or extend the leash, like the rope that you have, so you can swing back and forth. You can pull yourself up to ledges, and things like that. It's a really cool puzzle game. It's got fantastic music. Go to YouTube right now. Check out uh, Umihara Kawase, just like it sounds. And uh, the game is kind of rare. Even in Japan, it goes for about 50 bucks. But it is uh, an incredibly fun game. It's definitely worth tracking down on eBay. And you can easily modify your Super Nintendo by just clipping out the tabs inside of it to play Super Famicom games. I highly recommend it. You'll be like, how did this not come out in America? It's a ton of fun. It's incredibly charming. And it is very difficult as you uh, get farther in the game. But it's got a great learning curve. And the again, the physics are inc- really cool. It's fun to play around with. And there's lots of different mechanics like um conveyor belts and things like that to to make the game a little bit more challenging the enemies are just they look like the creators were smoking a ton of pot when they created them it is just a (laughs) game that is very unique and something that you're not going to find many other places although they did re-release it on the psp in and the ps1 i think in japan but again we we never got the game out here so if and what were you saying about the 3DS, a version of it coming out on the 3DS? There is a version, a sequel that came out for the 3DS that's out in Japan right now, but it has not been announced to come out in America. Okay, and yeah. Like so many a 3DS, like many good 3DS games right now. Right. So uh, that is worth picking up, but we are looking forward to the past with the next episode, and we're going to be playing a fantastic Sunsoft game called Journey to Silius. It is uh, a great NES game, side-scrolling shooter that is uh, not very well known. So hopefully, we're going to have a great time talking about it and spreading the word on this uh, this game that is some of Sunsoft's Sunsoft's best stuff that they put out on the uh, Famicom and, and NES. And uh, it should be a lot of fun to go back and, and see what you guys think about it. I'm looking forward to it. Yep, me too. 
All right, so before we wrap up, again, uh, we got some uh, feedback on iTunes. So if you can go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and please rate the podcast. It means so, so much to us if you can if you can do that. It really helps us get the word out on the podcast. And also, if you're a member on NeoGAF, jump into the official thread and, and talk to us. Talk about the, the episode. What are your thoughts on Shenmue? What was your experience with Shenmue? And what we're going to do next week is we're going to read some of those thoughts that you guys had so we're going to be doing a mini mailbag segment for next week talking about you know your history with Shenmue so if you're part of that Shenmue defense force on there jump in the thread talk to us about it and uh, we'd love to get your feedback on that as well and maybe even your thoughts about Journey to Silius so do that stuff it's uh, again a pleasure to talk to you guys this week Trey and Josh and obviously for you guys out there to download and listen it's a huge pleasure to have you used that bandwidth? And until next time, I guess we're going to have to blow in that cartridge and pop it in to, to get going. Probably going to have to go two or three times because these games are old. See you next time. Peace. Later. Later.